Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, and today we are looking at the gospel lesson for the 12th Sunday after Pentecost, and all the readings are on our reading podcast that was released before this podcast. So today we continue with the Bread of Life discourse. It's coming to an end, and this text is full of a lot of obstacles, a lot of interesting, deep theological implications for our life, our uh, faith, all the things that we get to do in church, all the things we get to do in life, and all the things we do in Christ. We start with verse 51, and Jesus once again says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And that bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And right here, I jump immediately to the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist communion, where you have Jesus himself at the altar saying, this is my body. This is my blood. Then you hear from your pastor, take, eat, this is the body, take, eat, this is the blood. And we have a direct connection. Now, I'll also go as far as to say this is not the only thing that Jesus is talking about. We have to remember the Lord's Supper has not been instituted yet. And so when he says, my flesh is to be eaten, he this is some foreshadowing, but it's also the whole idea that it's pointing to Jesus will come and reside and live within us. Scripture is very clear about this. And so we have this, this spiritual aspect of Jesus promising to be with us. But we also physically eat his body and physically drink his blood. So you're saying this wouldn't be your go-to passage as your proof text that the Lord's Supper is the true body and blood. This wouldn't be your first choice. No, but it would definitely be a part of it. Okay. And uh, because he does say, eat my flesh. Mm -hmm. And because I've had people pull this out to be the proof text that John 6 is only sacramental. And the question always is, well, what about the Old Testament saints? Or what about those who never received for, for whatever reason? And so we get this faith aspect. And I really like this because faith is a fuzzy thing. Find me faith. I want you to point faith out. I want you to categorize it. I want you to organize it, put it in a file so everybody can see it. Well, faith is really good because when you're in the pulpit, you can tell exactly <laughs> who has faith and how much they how much faith they have when you look out into the pews. Not quite. I wish it were that yeah. simple. Well, it's that the guys that are the nodding through the whole sermon, smiling and awake through the whole sermon. Those, those are the guys with faith. But faith is, like you said, it's it's not visible right, right there for us to see. Yeah. We can look at works. Yes. That helps. Well, see, and I, I think that's where it gets tricky because then what do we start focusing on? I know for myself, I quickly go to, look what I'm doing. 
obviously I have faith because I'm a pastor. Do you know what I do? Do you know who I am? You know, but can anybody actually see my faith? Can anybody see what's in my heart or what Jesus sees? And of course, the answer is no. And that's where it gets interesting with this text because Jesus makes this big statement. I'm the bread of life, came down from heaven, and this is my flesh. And the Jews immediately say, nope, Jesus, you've gone too far. You had, a, you had me. That's too much. I can't take this. And if you remember from a couple of weeks ago when Jesus— begins this bread of life discourse, one of the things he said that kind of ended up stirring the pot was that he had come down from heaven. Oh, yeah. That was kind of his initial claim, and people are going, wait a second here. We're not sure about this guy. And so now he's really—I mean, this is kind of the climax of the bread of life discourse. He's not hiding the ball doubling down. Doubling down, just laying it out there. And then you see the reaction. And and I really like the reaction. I really get this. When the crowd uh, gets on the boats and travels around the the sea, you know, I'm not pick on them. I'll throw them under the bus on that one because they're hungry and they want the next free lunch. This one, I'm with them on this one. This is hard. You know, again, they grumbled because isn't this Jesus, the, the kid that grew up down the street? I think that's unfair. This one, Jesus, I'm the bread of life. It's my flesh. What are you saying, Jesus? What do you want me to do? And he's talking about the bigness of who he is, the Son of God, the all-availing sacrifice. And I can only imagine the look of the crowd. What? I mean, just practical terms. Right. It's— It's a little unsavory. Right. It's, It's not very pleasant to think about. But he doubles down on it, like you said, and that's that's where you get the crowd. The Jews then disputed among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So there's confusion, there's probably outrage, there's mm-hmm. probably a little disgust, just oh, yeah. thinking about the idea, and he states it again. And then his disciples, and by disciples here, I, I think it's the followers at this point of Jesus, the right. people who are interested, they've been following him. Yeah, the larger. One, the larger crowd from one place to another, seeing what he's been doing. Mm. The disciples there, as they mentioned in 60, uh, they start grumbling. So now you don't just have the Jewish authorities and mm-hmm. the people that aren't really sure about Jesus starting to grumble as they have been, but now the followers of Jesus yeah. start grumbling against him and they're pushing back against what he said. I think that's a, an interesting point because I think we do this. When we hear sermons that we don't particularly like, or my favorite, I, I know I do this, when I hear God's law, I immediately look at somebody else, I hope they hear that God, what God's saying to them. Because we so pass this off because it's hard to hear. We don't directly apply it to us unless it's nice and good and we like the attaboy, the, you know, the pat on the back. But to hear something hard, doesn't Jesus just want to love me? Doesn't he just want my happiness? Doesn't he want me just to have a good life? Well, yes, the good life of the resurrection, the good life of forevermore. In this life, you'll suffer for my name's sake. Take, eat, take, drink to survive this life. And 
that's hard. And, you know, like you said, even the practicalities of this, but even in faith, come and believe in Jesus. Yes, even when it's hard. Yes, even when it doesn't make sense. Yes, even when things are struggling and all is falling apart, abide in me, believe. So his disciples, his followers call it a hard saying, a hard teaching. And there's always those times you have far more experience with this than I do, but when you're writing a sermon, Mm -hmm. you're crafting the law portions and you know, somebody isn't going to like this because the law is hard to hear. Oh yeah. And here it's kind of interesting because I, I can't, he's, he's not really giving the law outright Mm -hmm. because he's giving a gift, which is himself, and it's still hard to hear. Well, they still don't really like it. Yeah. And I think there's two things going on because it is absolute law. Believe in me. Mm -hmm. That's a command. And at the same time, it's gift Mm. because it's a work of God, faith, receiving. It's definitely passive. Only through the Holy Spirit can we receive the gift of life saving faith, but I want to do something. I want to be the agent in my salvation. Look, God, I'll come to you. I'll claw my way up to heaven, and you'll open the door because I deserve it. This hard saying, come and eat, come and believe, come and have the great and wondrous gift of the bread of heaven, which comes to you. Take and eat. Well, what do I do? How, how do I get this? Believe. It's all free. So do you want money for this? What, you know, how many Hail Marys do I need to say? It's one of those uh, seems too good to be true kind yes. of deals. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And it's, again, the continuation. It's still hard for us to hear because it's the law of faith. It's the law of believing. And like you said, it's not an outright thing. We don't have, you know, the 11th commandment. Oh, by the way, believe in Jesus. Because we receive all of this in the work of faith. And we in our natural sinful state don't like to be told what to do. Even if it's for our eternal life, even if it's gift. Uh, You know, it's like being given a bar of gold. And the first thing that I know I would say, wow, this is heavy. (laughs) Not that, oh my gosh, somebody gave me a bar of gold. And this is what we do. We take offense at the gift that is before us, the gift that has come down from heaven. And then you would start on your thank you note, right? Yes, absolutely. But that's with this gift, it's we want to control it. Yeah. We want to control faith. We want to, like you were saying, do something to contribute. But faith comes through hearing, Yeah, hearing the Word of God. And in our text, we have the Word of God, Jesus, speaking. And we see some not receiving. Yes. They turn away from that word. And I I liked what you said. You know, we want to be in control of this. And I, I think how quickly the Lord's Supper is abused in this controlling aspect. So you have Jesus who says, I am the bread of life. Come and eat, come and drink. And this is offered. And truly, the feast of heaven is before you. And what do we do? We make it a work. Look, I did this. Or in our piety, we build this up to be this humongous thing, 
that in fact now loses its meaning because we've built it up to be something bigger, better for ourselves, our control, our this and that. And I think no matter, you know, it's kind of like the two-ditch issue. Either we go one way uh, on one side too far or the other too far, and we miss the immense gift that we truly stretch out our empty hands, and it's filled with the fullness of God and heaven. And what do we do? Look, I took it. Look, I got it. Look, I earned it. You put it right here because— I deserve it, or, you know, however you want to say that. And then adding to that, it always amazes me, and maybe this is just a me thing, but when you go up, and I think of like a Christmas service Mm -hmm. in particular, where there's so many people, and they're going up to communion, and you go up to communion, and then you get back to your pew, and you maybe say some prayers, and then you look up, and you start looking at everybody go up to communion, Yeah, and you start oh, well, they haven't been to church in months. <laughs> yeah. I've been here every week, right? And, yep. you st- and it's like how quickly you forget right. what you were just given in this gift. <laughs> like it's ours to give out. Right. And it's that just kind of struck me as you were talking about, it's kind of, we also forget how great the gift is. And it's given freely. And I, I think that's why it's the hard saying. Because Jesus at no time says, do this, here are the worthy, here's the checklist, nothing like that, but offers himself and eternal life. And then how quickly, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you, did the crowd look around and say, oh, he's not talking about those people, especially that family, you know, and, but that's a hard saying. And he gives this open gift, and then we see the response, many people left. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't want this gift. They didn't like this saying. It was too hard of a teaching. They didn't really understand it, perhaps. Right. And I think there's a lot to that. Um, I don't doubt that uh, these people had faith. I think their faith was misplaced or it wasn't fully revealed. And to be fair, the disciples don't get it until after the resurrection, until Pentecost. But you again, I can't imagine, and it's easy for us to say— if Jesus came down and started talking, I would love to say, of course I would believe. Of course I would do everything. I'm pretty sure I would argue. Jesus, are you? Have, do you know what you're talking about? Have you seen what's going on? Let me show you. Like we can tell Jesus what to do. And that's the hard thing because we want to be controlled. And we just do this naturally. And I'm sure I would like to think that if truly Jesus came down and was to say, these are the things I would do. I would like to think that halfway through trying to tell Jesus what to do, I would realize how far I'm choking on my foot. <laughs> but we do this. Our flesh is actually the obstacle to receiving Jesus' flesh too often. And thanks be to God, and I mean this sincerely, even that is forgivable. And just like this, these crowds, they have the promise of the forgiveness of sins, even though they walk away, even though they leave. Uh, I, I pray to God that the Holy Spirit moved them after the resurrection, just like the disciples, because they leave. And I love what Jesus does. And I put myself in this situation. He turns around to his immediate disciples. Are you leaving too? And Peter, Peter saves the day. Bold, brash Peter. He says, where, uh, where can we go? 
You have the words of eternal life. There's no other place, Jesus, we can go. And now we can take this two, one of two ways. Either this is a statement of despair. Look, I've seen these other gods. They're not really working out, so might as well try you. Because at least you're promising eternal life and, you know, we, we'll, we'll go with you. We'll stay with you. Or, and I like this one. I don't think Peter remotely did that at all. This is a true confession of faith. Jesus, you're the Son of God. There is no other place. You are our only hope. Yeah, this statement's hard. I don't get it. But I believe and trust in you, and you'll reveal it. It's getting to that point where maybe I don't fully understand it. Yeah. But I believe. And it's a gift of the Holy Spirit that I have the faith to believe. But it's interesting that Peter does chime up, and it's... I almost wonder, were all the were the other eleven disciples kind of looking around, watching everybody else leave, and they're like, "Oh man, what's going on?" And then Peter chimes up. He's like, "No, we're not going to leave." Yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's this confession of faith. There is nowhere else to go. We've seen what you've done, Jesus. We've heard your your words, and we've been given faith to believe. Mm-hmm. So there's no there's no other option. Because you are the only option. It's almost like when you can see clearly, and maybe other people don't really see it yet, but you have this view that nobody else has because you've been given the faith to see. Yeah. And other people don't get it. They might think, well, you're just not seeing things clearly or you don't don't understand. But the person with faith, it kind of reminds me of Noah with the ark. Yeah. Nobody else, they're all walking by mocking him, but he had faith. And so he had the what was in front of him, and he believed. And I think Peter has a lot of that same confession in him. Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Yeah. And that speaks volumes. It really does. And one of the things that I really like about this, we sing Peter's confession before we hear the gospel. And I, I always love that, especially when I approach the lectern to that statement, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then I get to be the one to read the words of Christ, the words of the gospel. And it is for the creation and sustaining of faith, of life, of giving Jesus and receiving Jesus. Because where else can we go? And again, it's not this hopeless despair, well, we've tried everything else, might as well try this. Because nothing works, because there is no other God, because there is no salvation outside of Christ, Jesus, where would we go? And and I like what you said, though. I don't get it. I don't get it. And and again, it's not, uh, you know, a despair statement, but I don't fully grasp what you're saying. And doesn't mean that you have to explain it so I can get it. It's not an intellectual head knowledge. But that is trust. You will not mislead me. You will not forsake me, even in my struggles to fully understand. Because if anybody says they understand Jesus and the gospel and God, I'm going to question you because we're talking about the immensity of God. Or even bringing it more closely to the topic today— the Lord's Supper. Yes. If you truly oh, yeah. understand the Lord's Supper, please write it down and share Let it Let us me. know, please. Yeah, because that would be really good information to have. Yeah. Because there's a point where we don't know. It's the mystery of the sacrament of the altar. And with that, though, 
that doesn't mean it closes the discussion. It actually opens up the imagination to participate in this gift, the work of Christ. How is it that Jesus can stand there with a straight face and say, I am the bread of heaven that has come down, eat my flesh. That is a true mystery that we receive in faith. And we, in this faith, get to discuss this appropriately to what Scripture reveals. And that, that's actually really freeing, that it's not based on our understanding, and we receive this in faith. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.